Welcome back to the Foreign Desk Podcast. I'm Lisa Deftari. What a week. As the quote goes, there are decades where nothing happens and weeks where decades happen. Uh, Vladimir Lenin, of course, the former premier of the Soviet Union, said that. And of course, we it could not be more true of this week. Uh, I uh, struggled a lot with what was happening in the aftermath of the incident at the Capitol. Of course, I said it then and I'll repeat it here and many more times. Um, it was irresponsible, violent, a total loss for those who had gone there to peacefully protest. Uh, but that's the point, um, that there certainly were peaceful protesters there. In actuality, they were in the extreme majority. And you'd think that with both sides calling out the violent protesters, that for a moment, left, right, center would be united on the point. But the left and mainstream media made it such that condemnation alone wasn't enough. They weren't willing to say that there were peaceful protesters there. They weren't willing to say that it's, that this was a, a segment of the population that's hurting, that wants answers. They didn't even ask why all these people got up and even flew across the country to attend the rally. They weren't willing to accept a condemnation that didn't include a total crucifixion of Donald Trump, his followers, his cabinet, members of the GOP, any right-leaning media, all of it. With one broad brushstroke, they let those hundreds who charged the Capitol represent and flat out replace and symbolize the entire conservative party and its future. Because they were evil, so are all of you. They made it impossible to condemn the happenings of the day without pushing for impeachment, without categorically denying support for Donald Trump. So Twitter became a bloodbath between left and right. Even though both sides were condemning the violence, the social media bullies made it impossible for anyone to ask any questions about the state of our nation. They made you sound like a racist if you dared to compare the protests of BLM over the summer and the raid on the Capitol. And memories obviously have been erased because nobody remembers storming the Senate during the Brett Kavanaugh hearings or when AOC held that protest inside Nancy Pelosi's office three years ago. 51 people were arrested, if you remember. And heaven forbid these instances should be brought up in comparison. But denying these points wasn't enough. They thought, why not just silence them all? And here we are almost a week after. Big tech doesn't have any qualms about its selective cancel culture. If evil and inciting violence is the determining factor, then why do evil tyrants in Iran who repeatedly call for death to America or members of ISIS, Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah, all on the terrorists have platforms. Why is freedom of speech a factor when defending the rights of foreign dictators but on these sites, but not to our own president and those who support him? The bottom line is that as large as big tech thinks it is, silencing half this country is like putting a bandage on a leak the size of Niagara Falls and hoping you can stop the water from coming through. As divided as we are now, the media, big tech, leftist politicians, the denying of the, this perspective of 75 million people in this country is creating a blind spot that they will painfully have to deal with in the next four years and more. To talk about the state of our nation, I want to call upon Elijah Schaefer, national reporter for The Blaze, host of Blaze TV Slightly Offensive. Elijah was there reporting live from the Capitol. We're going to talk to him about what he saw and what the aftermath has been for him personally on all of this. Welcome to the show, Elijah. Lisa, thank you for having me on. I wish we could actually be speaking in a better situation, better time, but so we are here. Yeah, so for our, let's catch everyone up. For our viewers who may not be familiar, you are a, a pretty courageous roving reporter. You are often traveling the nation to cover unrest, particularly in the last year. And um, Wednesday, you were at the Capitol. So let's start with that. Let, can you describe for people who weren't there, you were right there in the front row. What did you see at the protest last week? 
Yeah, well, um, contrary to the popular opinion, uh, my, my team and I had left Donald Trump's speech significantly ahead of the time when he called people to, to move to the Capitol. So there were already uh, hundreds of people gathered at the Capitol building um, before Trump even got on to speak near the White House. Uh, but of course, my team went up there to try to intercept the Trump supporters because we thought that there would be perhaps like an Antifa uh, brigade that was fighting against them, as we saw in the last two uh, protests, the Million MAGA March and the last Stop the Steal in December. Well, we arrived um, approximately 20 minutes or 23 minutes before Donald Trump uh, ended his speech at the White House. Things were were pretty just peaceful and normal. Um, there were some groups that were, you know, you could tell were there, Proud Boys were there, some recognizable faces, um, some interesting characters on megaphones yelling uh, to 1776, the barricades. Um, and this is where I picked up the term revolutionaries because people started chanting for revolution. They started uh, referencing and bringing, invoking the name of revolutionaries like George Washington, saying that he was, you know, what would he do in this point? And they all began to chant 1776. So to clarify, people saying that I was supporting people by calling them revolutionaries in the same way when I was in Philadelphia about uh, six weeks earlier, when the communists were calling for revolution and calling to storm the doors of Independence Hall while Trump was there, I used the same terminology. Uh, because I think with the gender identity argument where they say in society we should label people to which they request to be labeled, um, I was just trying to follow the rhetoric as a reporter and give people the labels that they gave themselves. Washington Post did the same thing, actually, calling them patriots. Uh, but of course, being right wing, I get the front end of the persecution. Well, that being said, uh, just to summarize it, things were peaceful. Violence started 20 minutes. Uh, New York Times confirmed my timestamp before the Trump speech ended. Uh, there was a group of agitators, uh, some might call them extremists, I'm not sure what anyone wants to label them, uh, but to summarize this, they breached barriers, the police did not know what was going on. Within 35 seconds, they had already injured a female Capitol Police officer who was knocked to the ground. I have sources inside of MPD, Capitol Police and Park Police who say that right at the, at the start of the breach, uh, calls went out to offer assistance for, for backup, it was denied. There were 50 officers within two minutes yeah. reach of the entrance where I was. The police put it down. The police said there was no need or no understanding of violence. But I'll, some, I'll just end with this, that a leaked FBI report today came out and said that the Capitol Police and the FBI had full understanding that there was an attempt to break into this, the Capitol building and to arrest members of Congress or to do worse. So not only did law enforcement know about this, it appears that they were intentionally not following pro protocols, which led to the capability for unarmed citizens to breach the second yeah, most secure I, building in DC. I, I definitely want to get to all of that, how this even happened. But let's let's go step by step. What, in terms of numbers, and I know journalists hate hate numbers and, and, and sizing out the crowd. How many people actually breached those barriers, came into the, the cat? How many people were being violent? And how many people would you say were there in, in total being, being peaceful protesters? I would say several hundred were probably direct agitators, but several thousand were for, for sure following them. I mean, I, I climbed uh, one of the rafters um, for the inaugural, uh, <laughs> the inauguration that's supposed to happen to get an aerial view. It was really scary climbing up um, like pipes and stuff and just trying oh, to get wow. on the top, but got to get the shot, the aerial shots, which I'm now being persecuted for. I, yes. There was a day and age where people appreciated journalism and they just mm -hmm. don't anymore. It's, it's, it, it breaks my heart actually to think this, but I think for my aerial shot, you could probably look at at least 2,500 people at the front lines uh, working together to breach the front barriers or pushing forward.
but I would say there was well over 100,000 people in attendance of this event. So we're talking at, at you know, about two and a half percent of the people maybe right, who were there at the front. Right. Yeah, and per, perhaps maybe less than 1%, well, realistically less than 1% of the people who were there that were actually causing the violence and the destruction. Sure. And of course, and we've said it again, we'll say it again, just so this is not misconstrued. We obviously condemned even one person being violent at, at this protest. So this is not something that we're, we're getting at, but we want to have a, a clear understanding of what happened. Some of the other, you mentioned you're getting slack for it, and I want to get into some of that. Um, some of the footage that you sh you posted on social media was of inside um, Nancy Pelosi's office. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's interesting the, the reaction that you got from that. Let's watch cut four. Check this out. We are inside her Nancy Pelosi's office. And yeah, and you tweeted, I want to read this. Important, this is a video I captured inside one of the offices of Nancy Pelosi after dozens of alleged Trump supporters occupied it. It seems that staff left in such a hurry that they forgot to lock the doors because there were no signs of forced entry. Some vandalized it. Now, it seems to me that you're being, you know, a, a very, very, um, you know, an ethical journalist in terms of, of just stating what's going on. What's more interesting to me is watching these people in the video. They look like tourists. They look like they're actually there for, for a real tour. Um, what was the feeling inside? Definitely there were no feelings of threat. And I want to say, clarify this, you know, people that don't understand the way the chamber works, you know, the equivalent of going into a church and saying I was in a church office is different than saying, you know, I sat behind the pastor's desk. Uh, you know, the offices are, are big in these organizations and there's many of them. So no, I did not directly go into Nancy Pelosi's chamber, nor did I sit behind her desk or do anything to that regard. I just walked into where all these people were invading her chamber with other members of the press, I might say. Um, you know, and the reason why we even ended up over in that direction was because they had gassed the halls with so much tear gas and I have asthma, did not prepare for a riot or bring my, my gas mask, so I got pushed in there. And when I walked into the, like, to, to get some fresh air, I felt like I was gonna pass out. Uh, I thought I was actually gonna die perhaps, so I was starting to black out from just so much pepper spray in my eyes and gas. Mm -hmm. I was just walking through thick clouds of gas and anyone that knows with tear gas, when you're in thick clouds of gas for more than a few minutes, uh, it feels like your lungs are, are gonna collapse. and so. When I walked in there, I think that the majority of people in that room were probably trying to escape the gas. Uh, that's my presumption because they weren't, ad they, people thought that they had the right to be inside, it looked like from my understanding. And being that I have a congressional press credential, police let me cross police lines. I had no, no police cause problems. Police even arrested someone right next to me. When I was in that office, actually, police went to clear the office and came in and was pu were pulling people out and pushing people and they didn't do anything to me. I just showed them my credential and they were like, all right, man. And so, you know, I was under the understanding myself that, you know, police were taking a different approach. However, I will juxtapose this that when I walked in, I yelled to everybody breaking in, you guys, if you breach this federal building, they can use live rounds on you um, because I don't want to see Americans killed. I don't want to see officers killed. Obviously we saw Trump supporters killed. We saw a police officer killed. Uh, it was very violent. I didn't want to see anyone getting shot. Someone did end up getting shot inside, as we now know. And I warned people, you know, please don't do this. You know, like, and, and even when I was in the office, I was telling people who were vandalizing a copier, I go, bro, that's like, that's your copier. You paid for this. This is, this is, this is taxpayer funded and you're going to have to replace it. So like, please guys don't vandalize anything in this office. And I, I think people just thought they were like, I, I think they thought it was a game. Right.
Was there any moment inside Nancy Pelosi's office or any moment during this entire uh, episode where you thought to yourself, oh, shoot, you know, maybe I shouldn't be here or maybe I crossed the boundary, maybe I crossed the line? Uh, I think the entire event crossed the line. Now, here's the thing. I've been recording riots for the last 10 months, very severe riots. This was not one of the most severe that I've attended in terms of the the, the property damage. In terms of death count, absolutely was definitely severe. Um, and you know, I have had no problems, you know, crossing police lines and doing what I need to do to document riots and to show America what's going on. I think that a lot of Americans wouldn't know what's happening if myself and fellow colleagues hadn't taken risks. I knew there was a risk, but I also know I wasn't trespassing because police, I showed police my badge and they let me come in. So, you know, when Capitol Police are allowing you to, to cross a line based on your credential, it puts you under the circumstances that you are not being illegally entering a building. And on top of that, you know, I think it's the it's important. Uh, I think it's a First Amendment right. If there's breaking news happening, and there is something, you know, I understand if I did a crime, for instance, if I vandalized something, if I had stolen something, if I, which I would never do, but you know, then I guess that for sure would be, you know, taking part in the actions. But you know, trying to document events, finding yourself in a chamber where there was no gas, and trying to take a breather and realizing how serious the situation was that all computers had been left unlocked which is a major breach of national security and trying to inform the public mm -hmm. that we are under national attack. People who are waging what they believe to be a revolution are right. storming the Capitol. Uh, yeah, I think that that was very important. I don't yeah. regret telling America the truth. And I think the FBI is probably mad that the America knows this, but Americans have the right to know that they're, the computers of national security ha could have been uh, tampered with or tampered with. Though I just wanna leave with you with this, I did not touch any computer in that office, nor did okay. I access anything at any point, because I understand the ethical you know, responsibilities of the journalist not to interfere with government property. Right. And you've said many times that you haven't crossed that line. And ironically, the, the footage that you did gather from inside the Capitol has has gone viral, obviously. Um, you know, a lot of, um, I think main, you, you mentioned mainstream media outlets have used your footage. Um, and as you said, we're, all, we're always applauded for being the journalists to get the story, to be on the front line, to get the real essence of what's going on, mm -hmm. um, except for in this case. And uh, here's a little excerpt from, from you telling your story on The Blaze. Let's watch cut three. People don't even ask me how I ended up near Nancy's chamber. I followed some people to get away from all the gas. I was trying to stay away from the officers who had live munitions pointed at us. I mean, this was a very serious case. I was respectful. I never touched any federal property. I did not access the computer. It was a staffer's computer. When I uploaded that image, I did not even know that the image was visible on the writing. It thought it was kind of blown out. This is a very extreme moment. People were People died. People were seriously injured. And I thought America deserved to know the seriousness of what was going on. And if that is what will penalize a journalist and a reporter today, taking the risk and the gall to actually tell the truth, then we have a very sad precedent ahead of us. Yeah. So I wanted to show that because we get some additional footage from inside the Capitol that you took. Um, likewise, since that interview took place, you have obtained legal representation um, you're, the, the feds are looking into this. Before that, CNN was investigating the story. I'm sure you're not shaking in your boots from that um, investigation. Uh, but you have, you know, social media platforms, Facebook and, and uh, Instagram said that they are indefinitely canceling your accounts. But then I think they were reinstated. What the heck is going on now? Yeah, well, um, you know, to show you just the political hit job and the way that this this event is being used opportunistically to take down political opposition, 
you know, there's a lot, I've made a lot of enemies by categorizing and capturing the Black Lives Matter riots. And in, in, mm-hmm. I believe, you know, with hundreds of millions of views last year, uh, public sentiments within six months of working around the clock with a few different colleagues, we changed public sentiments against BLM, um, not because of their political affiliation, but because of their actions of, you know, riotous actions of killing people, burning down buildings, uh, attacking innocent st- standardbys. Uh, it, it's just not a good organization in general in terms of the overall arching effect they had on our nation in 2020. Mm-hmm. A lot of publications have, you know, smeared me with being a racist or being an extremist because I've done the job they were supposed to do. Um, I wish they would have done their jobs better, actually, because if we could have compared all of our footage, then maybe there could have been a, you know, a balance in the narrative of things that I might not have noticed. Maybe even my own confirmation bias uh, that came into play after I watched Black Lives Matter people kill people, even jumped me. I, I've been seriously injured. I've had a leg broken, a concussion, my face smashed open. I've been jumped, had two go- guns pointed at my head, then jumped under gunpoint. It's been not a good time covering Black Lives Matter and Antifa for myself personally. Um, and that being said, you know, you see the political hit job, a uh, left-wing blogging website called Mashable, which is known for spreading fake news and, and hit pieces, uh, wrote me at approximately 6.53 p.m. the night of the Capitol building and said, oh, we would like confirmation in your comment about your entire YouTube channel getting demonetized. And I just went, that's weird. Never heard anything from YouTube. Then I get a message from YouTube the next day at around 12.50 p.m saying that we've removed uh, all capabilities for you to earn money on your show via our channel. And I said, that's weird. How did you as a journalist know about this before it happened? Possibly because you caused it to happen. And then they released an article saying, oh, you know, then they said, you know, YouTuber gloats as he tweets boasting for, you know, breaking into the Capitol, which is dis- And then they, by the way, to, 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 to back up their claims that I was gloating, which I was not, that I broke in, which I did not, uh, the police let me in. And also the fact is they go, oh, and he, and he was sitting behind Nancy Pelosi's desk, a lie. They uploaded an image of a woman, actually. If you zoom in, you see it's a woman in a MAGA hat holding a flag behind Nancy Pelosi's desk. So, you know, I'm not a woman. Uh, I don't know if you can tell. I, I mean, I guess in 2021, you, you could be a woman in a, split, in a split notice if you want to. But, you know, I didn't switch into a woman. And, and they made a smear campaign they work with BuzzFeed, with the Daily Beast. These are other blogging sites that pretend to be journalist websites. They don't go and make, do any original stories. They just they just complain about how other people aren't doing journalism well. And uh, they've worked and they got me deplatformed from yeah from Facebook and Instagram. Uh, our legal team was able to get that back online. They've also worked a, a very a very tireless uh, campaign to remove all advertisers off of my uh, show. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so successfully. Um, a lot of advertisers are sticking by because they know I'm a credentialed journalist and they believe in the First Amendment. Um, they've done an all-out assault. Uh, they have lied and gave false tips to the FBI, to Homeland Security. They've invented stories, tried to frame me for terrorist activities. They yeah. have worked. They have worked in cahoots with Congress. I mean, they have gone to a point to try to. They're trying to get me in prison for ten years. Uh, is that many of these activists have stated online that they will not rest until I'm locked up for a decade. And that shows you what kind of political fight we're up against that just recording from the inside creates an opportunity for your opposition to now not, they're not happy with just ruining your financial future, your your social reputation. They want to see you as a political prisoner because you were doing your job. And it, it does make me sick to my stomach that people are that evil, but I'm not surprised. Yeah, this is, I mean, 
I know a lot of people got a lot of heat on social media for even bringing up anything to do with the BLM or making any sort of comparison. And as somebody who did cover those protests for an entire year, um, from your vantage point, I mean, is there a comparison to be made with BLM, with how it started, who incited it, uh, the actual protests, et cetera? Oh, absolutely. I think that all riots usually have some underlying similarities. Number one, that there's <clears throat> usually not an adequate police presence um, to prevent an uprising. There's a, a failure of administrative officials to prepare for the worst, which police are there for. And on top of that, there are usually a few agitators or extremists who are trained from, from organized groups that you know instigate a lot of the insurrection and the violence and other people who are opportunists just sort of jump and join in. Um, that being said is, is they use big crowds as a cover for the extremists to get in and to do what they want so that the crowds overwhelm the police while the extremists kind of move their way through lines and get, you know, in this case, break into the Capitol. Uh, you know, the, what I saw at the Capitol was very similar to things I had seen when Black Lives Matter and Antifa stormed the White House back in June and they tried to burn down St. John's Church badly injuring many uh, Secret Service members. I mean, the fact is- But why can't we make a, that? But why can't we say that? Because one is sanctioned by the government and the other is condemned. Uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi said, you know, she's not concerned with statues and people will do what they do. And, you know, AOC famously said that, you know, these protests were supposed to make people uncomfortable. And people say, well, she didn't say riots. I go, well, yeah, of course, that was the whole dogmatic issue is that they were calling riots peaceful protests. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I did mock them a little bit. At one point, I called these mostly peaceful protests. And people say that was being sympathetic. I'm like, no, I'm just using your rhetoric to show you. So you look in the mirror and say, you set the precedent for this. You said to fund the police. You're the ones who said that we should have low police presence at events. Mariel Bowser is a Democrat governor. She didn't want a lot of police presence. She went against common sense because she didn't want to look like she was fighting politics with some sort of a, you know, contradicting her own policies against BLM. There should have been a lot of police presence. There should have been high barricades. And they, you know, this is what we see, the, the, the failed policies are what led to this. And also I wanna say this, when you don't punish rioters for 10 months and you let them off the hook and you create a national sentiment that people can break into public buildings, can occupy them, can riot and be let go with, even if they're arrested, the district attorneys will let them go. You are enabling people who might've previously never thought of doing these things to feel like they're okay to do them. And myself, meaning documenting this, it's like nothing fell out of the ordinary documenting this riot. I have spent the last year of my life, sometimes three weeks out of the month, sometimes three riots in the same week, documenting these things with little to no retribution from predominantly Democrat lawmakers in large cities. And so no, as a journalist, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary because if it was okay and good enough for the cities, why would Congress not be okay with it for themselves? It seems like a double standard. Right, double standard, exactly that. Um, what's crazy to me is how the hypocrisy has become so normal. It's just it's just normal to say you can't make the comparison with BLM, but yet Kamala Harris or Joe Biden, Joe Biden actually said if these protesters at the Capitol were African-Americans, they'd be shot in the face. I mean, how many BLM protesters were actually shot in the face? I mean, that, that's just a lie. Um, you know, and, and a whole list of leaders inciting violence during the time of the BLM um, movement. Let's watch this montage. Cut one, please. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. People need to start taking to the streets. This is a dictator. You know, there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. Enemies of 
the state. Show me where it says that protests are supposed to be polite and peaceful. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless. When they go low, we kick How do you resist the temptation to run up and wring her neck? Biggest terror threat in this country is white men, most of them radicalized right up to the right. I thought he should have punched him in the face. I said, even if you lost, he insulted your wife. Yes. He came down the escalator and called Mexicans rapists and murderers. He said, well, what do you think I should have done? I said, I think you should have punched him in the face and then gotten out of the race. You would have been a hero. I'd like to punch him in the face. I said, if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Punch some people in the face. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? So peaceful, right? <laughs> It's it's the it's the rhetoric, Lisa. It is the rhetoric that we have been hearing, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I just have to say that you know it is appalling to me. It is appalling to me that as somebody who has been a champion for condemning riots, uh, I don't condemn all civil unrest in the terms of nonviolent people when there's unrest and they're feeling upset when BLM's out there screaming and marching. I support that when people want to have mass demonstrations, even during COVID, when all the right wing was criticizing them, I go, you know, you can criticize shutdowns, but you cannot criticize people's right to have assembly, even if it gets a little rowdy. And so, yes, I understand people get rowdy. They burn the flags. They do crazy things. Right. Yeah. But, you know, when people start assaulting police officers, breaking windows, destroying public and private property. To me, you know, not only is that absolutely not okay to take those kinds of steps because, mm-hmm. you know, it's just not it's, not, it's not a lawful act and it's not the way to accomplish anything. It sets you back. But also, too, like, I mean, I would say to believe, again, with saying why they were like revolutionaries, I, when you attack a federal building like they did at the Capitol or like BLM did at the White House, to me, if we were any less of a civil society, those would be considered acts of war. Uh, into some to some people to some strategists they would consider that to be an act of war, and you know you have to ask yourself though before we blame Antifa why did the people do it? Well, you know is it justified? I'll leave that up to 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 you know the historians and for people to look at exactly this period of history and debate. I'm as a journalist not here to decide public opinion. I'm just here to say when you see why the people did it, it's because for years they have been ostracized and told that they were less valuable, subhuman, that they didn't, their votes didn't matter, that they were racist, sexist. So Mm -hmm. damn straight, I believe Trump supporters could have done this because when you dehumanize and ostracize people until they feel like they have no power, they often use violence as a last resort, which by the way, before anyone curtails me on that, I learned that while covering BLM writers from all of the politicians on the Democrat party who were telling me, you need to understand that sometimes this stuff just happens because these people have been ostracized and this is the natural result of discrimination. So I'm taking one out of their playbook and just slapping their same reasoning on this one. Right. And and to add to that, now you're taking away, you know, their their platforms of, of communication to let it all out, as you said. I mean, what role will big tech play in this, you know, in, the, in this next chapter? Well, you know, you saw today that Uganda during the elections banned Twitter and a few other social media and messaging sites then Twitter safety policy came out and said that they condemn the censoring uh, during elections and that they believe in an open internet and, mm-hmm. you know, absolute BS. You have to call them on that. Unfortunately, what we're seeing is similar to what we've seen during the feudal times, medieval times, right, where uh, one royal family would take over another royal family and the people who served in the fields didn't have much of a say-so in it, meaning all we're seeing is one billionaire who the people elected Trump 
being removed from uh, influence and you know trying to be erased from society by other more powerful, it would appear, or more influential billionaires who are unelected. And all I'm hearing is billionaires telling us that they will rule the country, that they know what's best for us, whether we elect them or not, and that they can do it without our vote. Mm-hmm. So it's an, it's, a, it's an autonomous group of oligarchs, technocrats. It's a new ruling class, an elitist class. And with New York cutting all of the um, contracts with uh, the Trump company, you know, in the wake of this, I mean, I have to say, I don't really believe they think Trump incited this violence. I don't think they think I had any part in this. I don't think Senator Howley or Ted Cruz are truly responsible. I believe this is just retribution for big tech companies and the ruling class now, as we know them, to completely crush political opposition going forward and to rewrite history. And and how will that affect like half this country, basically? It's going to do exactly what I've been saying is I believe they are being honeypotted into civil unrest. For those of your listeners that are, are unfamiliar with that phrase, uh, it's you know, I made an episode on this about a month before this happened, where I warned from looking at reports from Democrat lawmakers of the way that they were looking to categorize and dehumanize Trump supporters long term, even looking at MAGA rallies uh, recently that they have legislation to categorize MAGA rallies as terrorist events. Mm-hmm. Um, I said, you know, I think that they're trying to pressure cook you guys into civil unrest. And I brought up Charlottesville, where I go, Charlottesville was an unfortunate day and Heather Heyer, a woman was killed. I go, but collectively speaking, when I watched the same uh, the same standards not be put upon the BLM violence, which, by the way, killed two dozen more people than Charlottesville and two billion dollars more of damage than Charlottesville. And I saw much more serious events, although Charlottesville was serious, much more serious and damaging events not be focused on and almost erased in the media. For example, with Kenosha, it was one of the greatest terrorist attacks on our soil in Wisconsin. And the argument ended up being about this guy named Kyle Rittenhouse. I go, wow, they really don't care that they burned down buildings with children inside. Children were screaming and getting thrown out of windows and stuff. Like they don't, they don't care about America. And so I, I told my audience, I said, I, I want to let you know, I know a lot of you guys are right wing. A lot of you guys are angry with life. If, if they could take Charlottesville and not stop talking about it for four years, and they could keep lying about Trump's comments that he said there were both there were good people on both sides and he called white supremacists good people, which he never did. He said he condemned them entirely. So if they could manipulate that with only one death and minor property damage, if any of you guys strike back at the government in a way that actually creates some sort of a national attention, they're going to use that to crush all political opposition and to make Trump supporters appear to be terrorists for the rest of right. history. But so what's the messaging? The messaging is to stay quiet, right? To, to be suppressed. It's to cr- yeah, well, yeah, but it's going to do the opposite effect because I said, I'm, I'm just, it's the, the more you ostracize people, the more likely they are to lash out in violence. And that's just the truth. So, you know, the more that they silence people that are angry for being silenced, the more isolated you make them. And it's kind of like, putting you know a stopper on steam eventually it's going to explode and i and i really am afraid for our country and, right. and for these tech companies who who are creating a society that is meant to implode and i would say i'm starting to believe that this is by design and you know appears to be in line with similar plans in other countries uh not that all people are in design not that all people are in this it just seems this is a political opportunity to to hold power and unfortunately, I wish people were better than that, but it looks like corruption can even take out the best of countries, our own. Yeah. Um, 
it's horrific. I think it will definitely backfire. What I call the blind spot um, in my writings. It's it's you know it's denying half this nation, and um, it, it's not going to end well. I want to go back to what you started out talking about, and and you tweeted about this as well. Some of the fishy um, circumstances under which um, this whole capital fiasco took place, and first and foremost, talking about the security there and uh, police there not not accepting additional backup. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, uh, an art, a widely published article from the Washingtonian came out a day before the siege on the Capitol that really detailed right-wing plans to storm the Capitol. I read that. Uh, I was we were hyper aware that people were possibly planning, um, uh, you know, some sort of an attack on police or something because people thought the election had been stolen. I didn't know anything about a siege. Uh, ahead, ahead of time. I didn't read the article you know, previously. So when I say we knew, I mean, as a country, this stuff had been published. I wasn't on board with that. I was uh, you know, on in somewhere in another state on a podcast during that time. But I think that when Mariel Bowser, the mayor called in 400 uh, National Guard, I even kind of laughed. I'm like, Trump supporters, what do they do? You know what I mean? Like I, I've been to so many Trump rallies I even stopped going to Trump rallies because I, I cover civil unrest primarily, and it's just Trump rallies have been too peaceful. Besides, the, you know, the BLM picking them off at night when they leave, and you know, when we go into this, I remember showing up uh, a few a month or so earlier, and there was bigger security for less people at the Capitol, and I was really shocked at how few security there were, and I was shocked on, on other things, uh, the equipment they had. I mean. Shoot, when there's just basic clashes between Proud Boys and BLM during in uh, the K Street, 14th Street by in front of Lafayette Park in front of the White House, formerly known as Black Lives Matter Plaza, I mean, the police are still in full-on riot shields, helmets, right? I mean, this is crowd control, right. and we're in very volatile times. The riot police were not available during this time. There were no tactical police units. Um, I started contacting people, like I mentioned earlier, in the MPD and Capitol and Park Police, and they were telling me like it's stand down order. They were told to stand Where down. Where did that come I, from? Where did that stand down order come from? I don't. I I don't know. All I know is the capital, the, the chief of capital police is resigning, and you know officers are resigning. Um, I I am people. I'm already getting so much crap that I guess I couldn't get any more, but. I wanted to believe this was an accident and that this was just uh, some people who were angry and acting foolishly and do, taking the law into their own hands. Um, I now believe due to the reports by the FBI, uh, by internal sources in the police and law enforcement departments that uh, this was enabled. I don't think that these people were plants by the CIA. I don't have any evidence of that. But I believe that they had FBI had full awareness uh, a, that there were extremists that were attempting to breach the Capitol. I believe that there was coordination with law enforcement to lower the amount of police and tactical response times. And I also know that there were denials for reinforcements. And specifically, there were at, inside the building there were only 50 uh, units to protect Congress while all of the sitting government was in session. To put that into perspective, I got that number from uh, Park Police. So when there's over 400 members of Congress and the vice president meeting in a building and there's that low of a security with that many people who are mad about an election and people are resigning over it, 
if it was an accident, I could believe it, but accidents don't happen like that in this day and age, especially when civil unrest is not only predictable, it's almost expected. Uh, and the fact that the FBI knew about this and chose not to act, the fact that the, the mayor knew about this and chose not to act, uh, and the, the mayor was on quote saying that they wanted a specifically light presence near the Capitol security. It's just too much to ask, was this intentionally allowed? Because I mean, if, if the actions against Trump and the impeachment and the swiping and the purge of, of followers, the categorization of MAGA as, terrorist, as, as a terrorist gathering, uh, Schumer pushing this no fly list for Trump supporters. I mean, if all this happened within 72 hours, and nothing like this ever happened during any previous riots or after the storming of the White House. I know that what is the response is politically motivated. All I want to know is what are political motivations that allowed this to, to happen. And I would say evidence is leaning towards yes. But I also don't want to overstep my boundaries and I want to give more time for investigations to occur. Wow. Wow. Just wow. All right. We'll have to leave it there, Elijah. But tell us, um, last question. For those who support journalism, free press, free speech, how can we help you and what's next for you? Well, um, you know, I would just say that with going through some some potential legalities and issues with people in Congress um, trying to suppress, by the way, writers, authors of the uh, Journalist Protection Act, I might say, that have written and co-authored things to protect journalists but in their quotes, covering breaking news, even in situations of questionability, are pressuring federal law enforcement to destroy my life, my family's life, the amount of death threats we've had to go into hiding uh, because of oh the, the threats, both federal and from the general public, due to defamation smear campaigns and investigations by CNN. It has gotten unbearable. We can no longer live at our address. Uh, but that being said, um, the most important thing is, is just please support the work. If you want to check out the work for free, you can go to youtube.com slash slightly offensive uh, or type my name, Elijah Schaefer. I have a show that covers all of this journalism uh, or you can check me out at blazetv.com as well. I don't know all my other platforms, how long they'll last, but just keep following us, keep promoting and keep promoting the show, Lisa's show as well. Share this with as many people as possible. I would say that, take this video right now, get the link and send this to five people where they can find it, how they can support Lisa's show specifically so that people can still get a voice like this no matter what happens. Amen to you. And yeah, the bullies at it again. We have to stop them and have voices like yours heard uh, for, for years to come. I apologize to you and your family. I wish you guys well. I wish you guys uh, safety and peace and harmony. And um, yes, please go follow Elijah, support his work and uh, follow the story. And we'll, we'll keep the story uh, abreast on the Foreign Desk as well. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, and we will post this video on all the uh, sites where podcasts are posted. You can also catch it at youtube.com slash Lisa Daftari. And to subscribe to our daily top 10, go to foreigndesknews.com slash newsletter. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.